Welcome to the second season of the Make the Future podcast. I'm your host, Jacques Beauvais, Dean of the Faculty of Engineering at the University of Ottawa. Join us as we have conversations with different thought leaders about current issues facing the engineering industry. Let's explore the future of technology and innovation and how, through creativity and collaboration, we can make the future. They say the future is coming, but that's not true. The future is already here. And it's relentless. It's not going to wait for you to catch up. How will we live in this future? How will we make sense of it? To define our course, we need a new perspective. One that engages our curiosity, that activates our imagination, one that defies the conventional. To own the future, we need to do more than just see it. We need to make it. Hi, my name is Dimple Thomas. I'm coming from Ericsson. So Ericsson is a global leader in mobile telecommunication solutions um, here at the park. Uh, what I do currently in my role is I uh, test end-to-end -end system performance of um, our base station or network products. Um, and I'm the theme leader of diversity and inclusion on site. So I'm John Proctor. I'm the CEO of Martello, a high-tech firm here in the campus. Uh, and again, either being the CEO, you're also the chief culture officer. So one of my roles is to look at that perspective and say, what is the culture we as a company want as a whole? And then look at how we try and instill that uh, across the company. How is the culture these days? Mm. Is it a different world than it was 10 years ago? Is it where we need to be? Is it still evolving? I think some of the basic principles <coughs> never change. I mean, yes, it'll evolve, but the basic principles of, you know, the golden rule, treat others as you'd like to be treated. Um, and then in high tech, there's another thing, which is sort of the passion. Uh, and it's, it's one of those things saying, you're allowed to get emotional about technology. <clears throat> and in fact, if you get emotional, it means you believe in what you're doing. Mm. It's the dispassionate that doesn't work. It doesn't mean you take it out on the other person personally, mm -hmm. but you're allowed to have, and for a lot of R&D guys, some of these things are fundamental, right? They truly are almost religious perspectives on aspects of technology, and they will get emotional. That, that's great because it means they believe in what they're saying, believe in what they're doing, but you can't extend that to somebody else. So I think when you look at those sort of basic principles of treat others as you would expect to be treated, you know, be, be respectful of each other's opinions, um, you know, those sort of things never change. However, as a workforce changes and that sort of how they engage, how they include themselves in conversations, that is, that is still changing. Okay. How do you see it? Yeah, um, I, I think that uh, I love the fact that we, you know, we're even having this conversation shows a lot of progress from where we used to be perhaps a lot of years before. Um, we're talking about diversity, we're talking about inclusion, we're including that in our core principles in the tech park, which is uh, a great time to be here. I mean, there's definitely work to be done, it's evolving, um, it has to get better, etc. but uh, we're talking about it and that's the first step, right? So I'm pretty yeah. happy to be influencing this. I think that's key and it's sort of that openness to discuss. I mean, we're sort of joking around, you know, I'm, I'm well inside that pale, stale male bracket, right, of, you know, go around the tech part and have sort of a number of sort of senior exec meetings. It's like a, hmm, 
you know, we've got some work to do on diversity here, sort of conversations, and those are really important. But the fact we're having that conversation and we can recognize saying, you know, we need that. But I think the other thing that uh, was brought up was inclusion. Mm -hmm. uh, because diversity is, I'm not saying it's a tick box, it's a definitely a thing, but you've got a lot of companies going, oh, we're going to do our diversity. Inclusion is so much more. It's that saying mm -hmm. everyone gets a voice, mm -hmm. uh, everyone gets heard. Uh, it's a lot harder too. It's a lot harder. Yeah. Because it's it's not just looking sort of the visible minorities. It's also saying, and who are the invisible minorities? Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of them are introverts. When you work in our you know in tech, a lot of guys are introverts. Uh, a lot of people are probably close to the spectrum, which is you need them. Don't get me wrong. Is these guys are fabulous. Mm -hmm. They will solve your technical problems and they'll work all day to do it. But they don't want to do social events. They don't necessarily want to join in. So you've got to make sure, how do I make sure they're heard? Uh, and that actually takes a lot of work because they're, you know, these sort of guys who work, 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 they're constant, they're driven, they're very focused. But they get upset about things, but they don't necessarily articulate it until I'm done. So you've got to try and say, how, how do I pay attention to that? And that's, that's, that takes work, that takes effort. I love that, uh, and I've heard it before, that articulation of between diversity and inclusion and in that in diversity we're bringing all different people to the table, but with the thought of inclusion, it's in engaging them to, um, to have an impact in whatever form or capacity. So how, how do you create that action? How do you create that environment where people feel that they have a voice or uh, an ability to uh, be included? And, yeah. and in your role, yeah. is that mm -hmm. part of your responsibility to work on that inclusion? And are yeah. you alone to do that? Or how does it work? <laughs> yeah, um, it, I, I do really like the, you know, the fact that, and it's true that it's easier to kind of measure for diversity, mm -hmm. uh, but inclusion is harder to capture, to measure. Um, it is uh, not, again, like it's, it's, inclusion is a mindset, right? And, and that's kind of what is so important to realize is it's, you can't put a framework around it. You can't say you need to do this. I mean, there are some principles that are fundamental, respect others, treat others as you want to be treated. Those are fundamental principles, but it is something you have to just change within yourself. And then I think that's where it becomes a bit more challenging. Uh, when you're very set in your ways, um, you're very set in your biases, um, it, it is harder to work and, and change that and change the culture. And I think um, that's where we just need to be open to change and, and be willing to include everyone. Yeah. I think it's a leadership piece as well, mm. right? Like you said, it's, as Dimple said, it's, it's intangible. There's, there's certain mm. things you can't mandate it and say, right, we're going to say, you know, thou must include everybody, mm -hmm. right? And chisel it on a stone and put it in the front of the office and it's going to happen. Mm. <clears throat> it doesn't work like that. It, it starts, you know, top down. Right, that you you know you lead by example. You mm -hmm. work hard at meetings to include people, and then when people see that, oh, this is working, <clears throat> then it sort of takes off. And I think that's kind of the point of saying, you know, when you have leadership that has sort of that sort of mindset, as you you know, put it, uh, it becomes you know, people see that waterfall effect as it comes down, and they go, yeah, this is working. Um, <clears throat> and the other thing is being intolerant of. You know, the bad behaviors mm -hmm. and being very intolerant of that and setting that from the top as well saying no we don't tolerate you know people who start to become exclusive mm -hmm. of people who are you know uh, racist or whatever it is you know that is you make that clear from the top so not only are you leading by example what should be done <clears throat> you are very clear on what should not be done as well why is it so important in your work to have that 
uh, that approach of diversity and inclusivity? For us, uh, we do product development mm -hmm. and product verification. A big part of an R&D facility is to come up with uh, innovative ideas and innovative solutions to problems. And that's uh, exactly where we see uh, the impact of having a diverse workforce as you come at an old, challenging, complex problem with several different ideas and several different um, yeah, viewpoints on, on how to solve this old problem that we've had for a long time. And, and then when we start enabling the culture to listen to those ideas, we start getting some very um, cool, innovative products coming through the door. And you see it? You see that you can, you can tell the difference between the products that are designed with that? All the time, all the time. We see it uh, when even something as simple as designing the graphical user interface, mm -hmm. the concerns that you take uh, into account when you design for something that's external facing, um, the approaches to problem solving, collaboration. What about you, John? Yeah, I think, <clears throat> so a couple of things are raise are really important. One is sort of that, that those different perspectives, right? And how are we going to solve this problem as an outset, right? The customer has a problem. How are we going to solve that problem? And it's that point of saying, you know, is it a truly, okay, it's quick tech, let's go down in tech, or is it, hold on, let's try to understand why he has that problem in the first place, right? So it's taking that, that step back and having a more diverse perspective on it. But the other thing is, you know, and you touched on this slightly, is that voice, because you need to make sure there's people feel they have a voice into that problem-solving environment. The other thing that's really, really important is, you know, we're here in Kanata in the tech park, well, we're global, mm -hmm. right? So you've got guys saying, well, we're not necessarily building for the, you know, the Canadian market, right? We're developing for, we're in 150 countries, and I'm sure, you know, uh, Ericsson's in many more as well, right? So you've got to understand is like, when you look at that customer, it's not just, you know, the, the gender customer, it's not that stuff, it's global customer. Mm -hmm. So having that perspective of saying, yeah, but hold on, you know, when somebody's gonna look at that, they're gonna think X, Y, and Z. And you can think of all these different examples of, you know, of, of product development where things have gone global and not resonated. Um, and that's kind of key is saying, the more perspectives you have into that, be it gender, be it race, be it whatever, then the more you are going to be part of this global you know, environment that we need to sell to. And if you look at sort of Canada, we, we talk about some of the problems. We've got some great tech. And, we always, and you hear this all the time, and I think we discussed this recently, mm -hmm. you know, saying the problem is always getting it to market. Mm -hmm. How do we get this great Canadian tech to market? And the answer is think global. Mm -hmm. And that starts at the problem-solving level. And the more diverse you are, the more inclusive you are, the more chance you have of getting that global footprint working. How does that translate into the team building and the hiring practices? You've spoken about mm -hmm. your uh, diversity of experiences uh, over the course of your career that were non-tech previous. Mm -hmm. So when you're building out the kind of the chasm of the team, how does that translate into finding those different people with different experiences? So one of the first things is being open to people who have non-traditional backgrounds. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the fun things is now we've got a couple of you know folks on the ground who are fairly new, but this is their first ever job in Canada, right? They're new immigrants, um, and you know they came to us and you know kind of looked at their resume and went, ah, oh, well. But you know it's that point of saying let's let's dig a little deeper. Let's give you a chance to come in and explain yourself. Your resume wasn't quite the perfect fit, but it never will be. Uh, and this is one of the challenges of you know when you look at that hiring process. If you if the resume is the only tool you've got to filter, you're going to have problems because. 
you know, when you've got a, a Canadian audience, they know how to write resumes. Whereas somebody who's new into Canada mm -hmm. and they're going for the first time to write a resume to apply for a Canadian job, mm -hmm. it's not going to be as pretty. And it's the, you've got to, you've got to filter that out and say, it doesn't matter, I'm looking to try and get through that and look at the person underneath. Um, and that's kind of thing is that we've got this sort of concept and we've really pushed it into HR saying, <clears throat> we're hiring the person, not the resume. I think people coming in with diverse backgrounds, you know, you bring them into customer success um, for the first time in a tech industry and they've never worked in customer success in tech industry, they might have worked sales at Hudson's Bay. Mm. They know how to talk to people. They know how to make somebody feel good about the conversation they're having. Mm -hmm. That's the basic, and those are the soft skills that we kind of under, undersell. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you, and again, you go broader, and the same thing. We've got a guy who was customer support, and he's rolled himself across successfully into sales engineer mm -hmm. uh, because he picked up the skills of being able to communicate. He, while he's been doing that in customer support, he's spent time with R and D. He's picked up the technical skills, and again, this young gentleman's from Cuba. Uh, you know, was a teacher in Cuba, emigrated, uh, and now he's doing tech support. So I think, again, it's that stop saying, you know, that there must be a path. And I think when we look at, you know, we talked a bit about this recently at the Chancellor debate, this, the graduates coming out, you know, if I go back sort of 40, 50 years, <clears throat> somebody would come into some, you know, tech park and say, here's my job, here's my company, and 20 years they'll still be there. That isn't the case anymore, yeah. right? They're, these guys are going to have really, you know, fluid, dynamic careers. Mm -hmm. um, so making sure you've got those core skills and are willing to be adaptable. But then, as an employer, saying, "Cool, right? I can take somebody on. I can take somebody on who doesn't look like they're the perfect fit, but they they are the right person. Mm -hmm. We will help them get there. Uh, and that's also part of your responsibility as a leader to say, you know, we as a team, you know, can see how valuable you'll be. Um, and it's you know, when you have those fabulous people come in and you give them a chance, it's, it's so good to see how they can surprise you with how good they truly can be in a position that they really want. Uh, and nobody handed it to them, mm -hmm. right? They came in, they took a chance, you know, they're, they're willing to work for it. Uh, and I, I truly see that in a lot of people who maybe, you know, they may not be in the perfect fit, but they know it too, and they're willing to work towards, you know, being successful in the role. I, I do want to add something about the hiring practices. Um, I think... Um, one thing that we found, so we had, uh, we have several examples where um, the job description and the way it's written uh, influences the mm -hmm. kind of the, the profile of the candidate that applies, mm -hmm. and it's uh, very apparent and very obvious. So that's uh, we often talk about like the pipeline, right? Like the the, the input, like people that apply to the jobs, um, and just doing something, um, just to having writing job descriptions with a gendered lens or just writing job descriptions to include certain words that rather than other words mm -hmm. the the effect it has on the applicants mm -hmm. into the position um, is just tremendous and then when we find these applicants we realize that they were actually better than the initial set that applied so we have like true data to support mm -hmm. this so that kind of relates to the question about hiring practices that it has to be we, we have to be conscious about it we have to do it with uh, sort of this gendered lens or mm -hmm. with a diversity um, mindset uh, in place. You can and see the difference. In your role, do you get a chance to influence the way uh, Ericsson posts here for positions? Are you involved in those discussions? Yeah, certainly. Uh, we definitely are discussing with HR. We discuss with uh, managers mm -hmm. and how, the, the, the again, it's about the language that's used in the job description and how to change it. Yeah.
how are we doing at Ericsson in Canada, and in particular Ericsson here, compared to other other parts of the world where Ericsson is? Do you have the feeling that we're catching up, we're ahead, we're about the same point in terms of diversity and inclusion? I think one thing that we see, and it's uh, an attribute of being situated here in Canada and mm -hmm. Ottawa, is uh, we are very culturally diverse as a site. Mm -hmm. That's definitely um, one thing that you see, it's very apparent as you walk in through the door. Okay. Um, in the gender space, we have targets set to get more women into the workplace, so we want to improve that. Um, and then, of course, diversity is so much beyond that, right? So you have neurodiversity, you have uh, sexual orientation, sexuality diversity. So it's a bit more challenging in those areas, but uh, we're working towards it. What about on the other side from a pipeline perspective? How do we prepare the pipeline earlier for younger, uh, next generation talent to be more aware of tech as an industry uh, and of the opportunities that could be available to them later down the road? I'm just uh, smiling a bit because uh, this kind of touches on my, my favorite uh, topic or the favorite initiative that I've been part of, uh, which is the high school co-op program. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, in Ericsson, we, we have a high school co-op program. And that, I think, and, I, and you know, we've gone out to schools, we've spoken about the program, and it's really about um, getting that exposure at a younger age. Um, I have an example. Uh, one of the students that we hired into um, Ericsson as a high school co-op student uh, came in kind of thinking that she wanted to go into nursing um, and and at the end of four months with us uh, she decided that she was going to go into software engineering because and her words were she finally saw someone that looked like her and spoke like her doing well in an engineering company and that was something that just stays in my heart mm -hmm. and I think that's really important when people see that saying would I be you know, do I see myself in that company? <clears throat> do I see myself in that environment? Mm -hmm. And the answer is no, I'm gonna find something else to do. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is, again, also, which is, if you grew up here in Kanata, you might have one parent, a relative who works in tech. So that's gonna kind of spill over into you, that's fair enough. But once we get outside of these confines mm -hmm. of, of Kanata and move further out, mm -hmm. you're losing high schools that have that connection. So again, it's it's easy the uh, the co-op program. So I've been involved in a program called Cyber Titan, which is a uh, cyber competition in high school, and it's in the U.S. It's Cyber Patriot in the U.S. It's in the U.K. or something else, um, and it basically is create sports teams that do hacking competitions. Mm. But the aim is to sort of in the U.S. is to move it up to the level of threshold of saying, you know, some high schools if you're on the cyber team, you get a jacket like the football player, mm -hmm. right? It moves it to that parameter saying. You know, tech you know, is as important as a, is a sport, and particularly this is where they created sports teams. Um, and it gives it that level of profile within the school where people go, oh, that's actually, this is cool. It's not the nerds in the corner, mm -hmm. right? These guys are actually on a team, it's competitive. And um, for instance, there, if you're a female, all female team, it's free entry. Right, oh, to try really? and drive okay. some of those sort of behaviors as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and cyber time's picking up. I think we've got over 100 high schools now participating across Canada. Yeah. Um, and it's that's kind of a start thing. But I think that really important is saying we, the high tech industry, have got to expand our co-op relationships yes. you know, beyond this. And if I look at some of the sort of rural, yeah, rural Canada, which is an awful lot of Canada, mm -hmm. right? How are we in reaching there? How are we getting to that talent 
there mm-hmm. uh, and sort of getting them interested in that sort of stuff. And you know, the co-op programs tend to be sort of more sort of localized mm-hmm. just by nature of what they are. We create these relationships. But reaching out, I think, is also part of what we've got to do a bit better. Uh, and again, looking at the industry organizations you know, to help with that, sort of the government organizations you know, saying, you know, how do we do this and go back to that talent pipeline? Um, and when we look at sort of you know, inner city, and it could be something like inner city Toronto, where there's a massive amount of diversity and a lot of financial industry, but not a great deal of tech, yeah. right? So how do we how do we excite those guys to come in to, and look at what we're doing? But you know what I love about that whole concept around creating teams in high schools that you know are, are hackers is that it resonates with something that's already happening across a generation. Uh, there is it has been a shift from physical sports into esports mm-hmm. already, and kids these, these days. I'm young myself, but they they're spending an awful lot of time on Twitch and and following mm-hmm. these uh, esports mm-hmm. celebrities. And mm-hmm. so I think finding ways to uh, engage with our pipeline of next generation talent that will resonate with them, with you know the way that they're already engaging in tech. Is there a culture of sharing best practices, or are they all on their own to try to develop these ideas of? of <laughs> I'll let you take that one. Um, you mean between the companies yeah. here in Canada North? Yeah. I because mean, I, diversity and inclusivity is a general issue that's important to everyone. I'm yeah, guessing. yeah. No, I think um, you know there are some examples of ways that our uh, leaders here in Canada North get together for that knowledge sharing and collaboration. We have our HR council. Um, CEO Council, we're going to be launching an R&D Council, and and I think that speaks to the the Canadianness of who we are. We're collegial, and we we like to share you know our best practices and ideas for how to grow and as a companies. Um, so I do think that that's just inherent in the nature of our ecosystem here. Um, but this this whole tech community was born of uh, you know people coming together in a small team at mm-hmm. uh, whether it's Newbridge Networks or Mitel or Nortel and and it's grown but yet those um, senior executives who were there back in the day are still here and so I think you see a lot of people who work together over the course of their careers yeah. in many companies um, reaching out to one another to say hey I'm at this company now and this is the challenge I'm having remember when we dealt with X Y and Z 15 years ago and one of the things that I think you know we need to be really passionate about is in also connecting our next generation of talent with those senior leaders that are here in the park so that they can uh, be aware of and aspire to to be uh, you know where our, our tech leaders are we reach out there's certain forums but it's also a lot of individuals who sort of connect on a different you know, personal level say, hey, so you know, we've got so-and-so going on, and it, sometimes it's a hiring problem, sometimes yeah. it's a tech problem. Uh, I mean, I used the example before of when we went public, mm-hmm. right? There's a couple of other CEOs here who've exactly. you know, looked at something remarkably similar and to reach out to those guys and say, so anything I need to know? And there's an awful lot I needed to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they shared. Wow. Uh, and if I look at, we're doing this uh, 5G project at the moment with Encore, which is the Ontario mm-hmm. Quebec government, and our key point of contact comes from Ericsson, mm-hmm. right? So exactly. we, we're connecting the Ericsson, we get advice and guidance, we talk. You know, our you know, head of marketing you know, works with, you know, volunteers at time with Canada North. There is that exactly. community here 
which is so important for particularly the smaller companies. I mean, we're nowhere near the scale of Axon, we're just over 100. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're, we're coming to the sort of mid-scale of, mm-hmm. of Canada companies, and there's still the 20, 30-person companies. Mm-hmm. But they reach out, and we talk, and we share, and we, you know, that's, that's really, really important. Um, because otherwise it, it's really difficult without that sense of community uh, for these smaller companies to find the talent and as Jamie said we people move around like you know they were at Nortel they're at Newbridge exactly. you know, and they'll phone up and say hey you remember at Newbridge together and we did X yeah so I'm looking at and they'll have a conversation and I mm-hmm. think th- those are so valuable mm-hmm. um, and the same thing we did a, a trade mission uh, recently with U of O uh, to Malaysia mm-hmm. uh, and one of the first contacts was speaking to Solace mm-hmm. who had a couple mm-hmm. of guys who work in you know in the, in the in the Southeast Asia and we were able to pick up the phone and say hey so what do we need to and you know they give up their time they get on into a call at you know nine o'clock at t- night because of the, the time difference and they give you their information uh, and it's it's so important and valuable here that I, you know, I'd be I think a lot of companies would struggle if they were sort of a small 20-person, 30-person company not in this environment, mm-hmm. life would be a lot harder. You know, the, the reasons why we get into doing the initiatives that we do, mm-hmm. um, having conversations that we have, and a lot of times it's driven by passion, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I became the theme leader for diversity and inclusion because I was very passionate about the space. And I sometimes feel like if you have... That passion is what fuels... Um, the ecosystem in some ways so if you have a passion you will naturally tend to find someone else that has the same passion yes and then that's how you find each other and that's how you help each other mm-hmm. I think on the impact side so there's the uh, I think the collegial aspect of how we all want to see one another succeed in the businesses that we're growing here in Canada North but on the other side of things there's a lot of really good community-driven work that happens within all of our companies as well, Um, whether it's the Technovation program, and Ericsson's a great host for young high school students who are building uh, apps over the course of a 10-week program. Um, You know, we we will reach out to, because we're passionate about the fact that, hey, are you willing to mentor once a week for the next 10 weeks this young group of high school students to get them to the point of... uh, an MVP and that kind of stuff is happening inherent in the DNA of our companies as well and across our companies you know there's a, a bunch of engineers that get together uh, and Tusha hosts this uh, just for lunch informally to talk about diversity and inclusion in our companies mm-hmm. um, it's the informal mm-hmm. aspects that I think end up becoming the most uh, relatable for all of us as well you know just picking up the phone Mm -hmm. and saying Mm -hmm. I need help with this initiative and what challenges do we still have in front of us what do you see as um, the big issues we need to address quickly is it is it the young people in the pipeline is it the people in our organizations right now the younger ones the more senior ones is it just collectively the culture I'm not sure how to frame it but what do you see as the remaining barriers that we need to 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 work on in order to achieve those much more inclusive teams definitely one thing I see um, is the ability to grow and build inclusive leaders okay um, that is something that has to be done you have to start um, having the, the hard conversations and start to bring that out very open and mm. start to create a culture um, in which inclusive inclusion is, is prioritized. Having leaders that would call out uh, non-inclusive behavior 
um, non-inclusive language mm -hmm. and uh, then call that out, say it's unacceptable, and then bring the voices that are a bit more silent to okay. come to the forefront. And that kind of, that's not easy to do sometimes. And then that's where we need to spend the time and the energy to get that ha to happen. And it's, again, like, I'm, I'm fairly new as well myself. So um, I see I see it all, all the time when you have an inclusive leader. Um, all the opinions um, start naturally flowing in the room. And, and then that creates uh, a safe space for the employees. When you do that and have everybody comfortable to express themselves do you have and this is just professional curiosity okay does that make it even more challenging to make sure that it doesn't create more tension between those that are not used to being challenged or to have to have all those ideas expressed is that something that we need to learn to do when we're facing that situation or does it, do you see that everybody just flow goes with the flow and and it becomes comfortable for everyone no, no. <laughs> you you definitely have to do, uh, and that's where if you have, if inclusion is part of your DNA, as you say, as a leader, um, you will know or you come up with strategies to work with different kinds of people. And sometimes okay. it does involve, you know, let's start, table a conversation right now and talking to person XYZ about, you know, by the way, what you did was not that great. Mm -hmm. or, what you did was great, um, and, and then kind of making sure that the next conversation is better. So there's a lot of nurturing to be done. There is a lot of nurturing. There's a lot of culture changes, yeah. And I think um, having that emo emotional intelligence as well to know that all different people have different ways of communicating, and some are you know extroverted and very uh, happy to express all of their opinions in a public forum or a meeting. Others. Um, it takes time to process all that they've absorbed in a meeting and then be able to come back uh, in a, you know, a less formal setting or a one-on-one -on -one to give their feedback or their inputs into a project. So understanding those different dynamics at play in your team, I think, helps to mm -hmm. really unlock the potential of inclusivity. And from your side, John, what do you see as the, the big challenges right now? Big, one of the big challenges is you know, we can't afford to be complacent, mm. right? We go tick off the box and go, oh, it's Canada, we pat ourselves on the back, we're multiracial, we're all inclusive, yay us. Um, and the point is, is then you stop paying attention, mm. right? And you can't do that. And that's one of the, the clear dangers. It's, it's a bit like R&D when you get complainers and everything's working. That's when it stops working. Yes. Um, <laughs> and this is the same sort of thing, the same attention you'd pay to those sprints Right, and your scrums and your agility you know, has to be paid to this as well uh, on a constant you know, uh, approach. Uh, and I think as Dimple said, the, the, that stuff of saying leadership, it means you know, we keep going that, we keep you know, looking at our leaders saying, is this somebody who can do this? Uh, and we don't get complacent about it. And we, and we set values right, that we can you know, all buy into. And what is interesting when you do that and you use those as both a you know, a hiring process, interview process, like you come to a, a Martello interview and there's our values. Put those in your own words, right? Some people will self-select out, right? Because they're going, well, why is this, this isn't important. It's like, mm. yes, it's fundamental to who we are as a company. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they look at it and say, you know, this, this is who we are, right? That's, this is our DNA. And when you put it in at that sort of fundamental level saying, we hire people who understand these values, right? 
then they get it and it comes through the company in that respect. Um, but the same thing, making sure that the leaders understand what that actually means. And as you grow your leaders, when you start off and they come into R&D or marketing or finance, but they come up and they become a manager and then a director, at each stage you're saying but one of your core roles is demonstrating those values. And and you think you've set it up, they're having to be able to have those hard conversations when people aren't. Mm -hmm. And that's really the thing, there's a lot of people who avoid that. It's one of the you know, most difficult things we ask our, our leaders to do is be willing to go and have a hard conversation in a respectful, outcome-based manner. Yeah. And being able to coach people to do that who sometimes they don't necessarily have those soft skills when they started. Mm -hmm. But you can grow that, right? That, that's capable. But I think when you set those values right at the, the front end and say, this, this is who we are, right? And please explain those in your own words as part of a hiring process, you'll find the people who, who get it and say, oh, I like this. I want, it, I want in on this. Mm -hmm. um, and that's to go, right, we want you to then. And I think that's so, so important. So two big elements, that when you're hiring and then growing it into the people who are yeah. in place. Yeah. And, and those leaders are responsible and accountable for it. Yeah. That's the other thing is accountability, right? So this is your team. You're accountable for that team. And you're accountable not only for growing those people, but, but enshrining, making sure those values are understood with your own little groups, your own mentoring. And whether you're a, you know, you can be a 25-year-old manager, right? You still, this is your conversation with your team, yeah. saying, hey, you know, how are we doing on this this aspect of it? So it literally means that if something happens with one of the members of the team, somebody's going to have a conversation with the leader also because yeah. he's accountable for yes, that. Yes, absolutely. That's yeah. that's how it works. Yeah. And you come back to my background. That's that's the reality, right? You, you know, we, I mean, in industry we call it racy diagrams, right? Who's responsible? Who's accountable? Etc. We all mm -hmm. love those things, but it's just in a leadership model is like ultimately, I'm accountable for it, for the whole company, right? The board holds me accountable for those values and that culture in that company mm -hmm. and that flows down uh, but ultimately if it, if it starts to fall somewhere in a company I can't point at him and saying you're accountable without pointing back at me and saying I'm accountable I, I do a thing called conversations with the CEO once a month yeah. and the lucky or unlucky people are <laughs> randomly selected across the company okay. from any of the offices and it's just a five or six person people with me some will be on Zoom on the screens cool. and some will be sitting at the table, but generally there's always somebody on the screen talking. And it's a case of one of the first questions I ask is, why do you like coming to work? Mm -hmm. What makes you want to come in every day? Yeah. And my next question is, what makes it hard to get out of bed to come to work? What's the, the barrier? And those are two of my two sort of opening questions. And one thing that came up in the conversation said, what can we do better? And it was a, a gentleman of Montreal who said, I really want, you know, I work on this product line, I get it. I want to know what the business problems the other product line solve. Mm -hmm. said, I don't necessarily need to know how they develop. I said, I want to know the, the problems we solve. Yes. Why? And I said, ah. And it's kind of one of those light bulb moments. And he said, yeah, because I get what I do and the rest of it, and I can speak to, I speak to customers all the time. But just knowing what the other business problems are we solve, what is it, would just help me understand what we do here as a whole company. And it was like, aha. Uh -huh. So that was something we then said, OK, we've got to put this together in such a way we can articulate. Yeah what do we do on a daily basis that makes somebody's life, as you said, better? Or what's the business problem or the problem we solve? And then there's a, aha, that's why we come in today to work on this problem. Because it's part of that bigger piece of these are the problems that we solve. And it wasn't until, you know, I had, you know, somebody raise it to me, because so, I get it, right? Because so do most of my senior leadership. And it's one of the reasons I have these conversations said, you know, the people I talk to every day are my direct reports. 
I need to get round and below that to actually go, what are we missing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, hence why we started this monthly conversations with the CEO and they are absolutely random across the company and you know, for some people it's lunchtime in, in the Netherlands and some people it's 7.30 in Kanata mm-hmm. but we have the conversation and, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it's interesting where they go they're a really good uh, little forum to get sort of input that I've not necessarily heard before but it speaks to the sense of pride that your teams mm-hmm. have in their work and mm-hmm. the impact that they're making in the world and um, you know that that pride will translate back into you know they want to go home and tell their families yeah. like this is what I'm working on and this is the impact that it's making that's the same way as you know they want to go back to their teams that they're managing and say this is the impact that we're having and what in what we're building so how, how do you Dimple get the pulse of the employees at Ericsson do you have mechanisms to be able to 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 get them to express themselves Yeah, we have our formal ways of doing it, like uh, dialogue surveys and voice surveys, where we have an anonymous forum in which people can choose to voice their concerns or talk about uh, areas that they're passionate about and such. Um, we also do skip level kind of uh, meetings where mm-hmm. a top level leader can meet with uh, mm-hmm. more younger, um, mm-hmm. in terms of experienced people, and just to, to understand, to get that perspective. Uh, we have advisory boards, so we have a group of um, younger, in terms of experience, people that have come into the company, join and talk, and, and just view the way we run um, the site from a different perspective, a different mm-hmm. angle. Um, there's, there's a lot of initiatives that, that happen. So I did the EMBA thing last year. With the, mm-hmm. We took um, the, the MBA, have like five student, groups of five students, and they go to a company and say, yeah. we'd like to go to a market you've never been before. Uh, we were given Malaysia and what was really interesting was two of the students were truly excellent mm. um, both are, one doesn't need a reference because he's already he's gainfully employed but the other one I've been his reference uh, and got it you know as he stepped into another job and the other three didn't get it mm. uh, and I was very blunt with the MBA student who said I would never hire them as a consultant ever <laughs> because they didn't get the basics mm-hmm. no, they didn't okay. get the basic principles how to come into a company understand what we're trying to do and then work out they were You know, they were great for could you go to Malaysia, but we could have producing toilets. Mm-hmm. We could have been producing cars for the, the ability they took to understand us. Yeah. And when we got to Malaysia, they couldn't join in. Mm. Right. I had two guys. They they host, helped me host every meeting. You know, did it. it was great. It was a very successful trip. Because of those two guys, the other three, it was they couldn't join in mm-hmm. because they didn't understand. They hadn't spent the time to understand what we were trying to achieve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is, like you said, it's, it's a very tactical piece of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a bit like, you know, when you have that sort of consultative selling approach, you know, seek to understand the customer mm-hmm. before you try and sell, yeah. right? Listen to what the actual problem is. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for the opportunity. I want to thank you all for tuning in on this episode of the Make the Future podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and that you learned as much as I did. Don't forget to follow or subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss the next episode. I would also like to really thank our guests and the podcast production team. Carl Bournes, Valérie Sanson, Karen Massey, and Francis Bertrand Lafrenière. And I really hope you can join us next time.